Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Christmas story in the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 2. Let's share in God's good word together. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn son. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Love all. Love all. Now, here's, here's the question. Who does all include? All. All is all. And that's where the difficulty of being a Christian lies, isn't it? Because we like to love our family sometimes. We love to love the people that love us back. We love to love those who are good looking. We love to love those who are good at their work or they dress nicely or, um, you know, everybody loves a good dunk from Russell Westbrook. Everybody loves, you know, uh, uh, you pick it, right? We want to love the things that we love. But when you have to love all, that includes some things that we don't want to love. And that's why Jesus came. Because people understood that gods would love the powerful, the rich, the good-looking. But that's not what Christmas is about. And that's not where God came. If God wanted to remind the world that the golden rule is that those with the gold make the rules, then he would have showed up at Rome. Because that was the power source. But that's not where he showed up. He showed up in a, a little town. Outside Jerusalem. And so if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to follow God in the Christmas story, Christmas is our chance to move closer to those in crisis, not further away. That's what Christmas is really about. To move closer to the poor, to move closer to those in need, to make a difference with those who need it most. So if you have your sermon notes, we're going to talk about this and and what this means. Um, And how God chose to come to the world. Because how God acts in the world tells us a lot about who God is. And the first thing we know about this story is that Mary is going to bring in God into the world. She is the Theotokos, the bearer of God, is the way the early church would talk about it. And Mary is somewhere between 12 to 14 years of age. And she's living in a one-stoplight town. They didn't have stoplights then, I'm just saying. Right? I mean, it is a tiny, tiny town. In Nowheresville to a 12 to 14 year old girl. Now, I don't know about you, have you met a 12 year old girl? Does that seem like a good idea to you? 
that that's, that's how God's going to choose to come. And, and not just um, come, but he's going to come in this tiny little town of Nazareth. Uh, I've been there. Even today, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a big place. And, and they're going to walk from Nazareth. They're going to come over here. Here's the Sea of Galilee up here, also known as Lake Tiberias. They're going to come over here. They're going to walk down the river valley because it was a lot easier than going through the mountains. And you had a water source because that was one of the main things you had to worry about when you were headed from Nazareth all the way down to Jerusalem, which people did a couple of times a year. They would go to the temple and then they would, in this trip, they're going to drop down to Bethlehem. Um, but it was a dangerous trip, particularly this last stretch from Jericho to Jerusalem. A lot of people got mugged there, lost everything that they were carrying with them. A lot of folks were killed there. It was one of the more dangerous places in the world at the time. And this little pregnant teenager is going to be walking through there. Now, uh, scholars disagree, by the way, on, on how long this is. That's interesting to me. That, that it's somewhere between 80 and 100 miles, depending on how you go. And, now this seems like a pretty big difference. It's somewhere between four days to 10 days. And you say, well, that's a pretty big difference. Well, there's some scholars that say, basically, Mary was a track star. She was in great shape. She was 12, 13, 14, and she could just really get there. And, then, and, and, and if she was in great shape and they were just cruising, it might be four days. But then they say, well, you know, no, no, she's late in her pregnancy and this would be difficult. And then something really interesting happens. You know, we, we see this thing where Mary's riding on a donkey. Scripture tells she's riding on a donkey. That actually slows down your trip by like twice. They say if she was riding a donkey, there's no way she got there before eight to ten days because you just can't move them along. If you're having to pack down an animal and have that animal, you're going much, much slower. So some people, many scholars, believe that it was probably 8 to 10 days. Um, unless you ditch the donkey and you're just going. So somewhere you've got this 12, 13, 14-year-old girl walking with her would-be husband through some of the more dangerous territory of the world to bring God into the world. And Mary is a peasant girl. She's not a citizen of Rome. She has... Really no means to support herself. She's really at the mercy of those around her. She's not a business owner. She's not college educated. And she's not even married. Not yet. And so they get to Bethlehem. And uh, of course we know that um, there's no room in the inn is the way the story tells it. Uh, if there were, we don't know that they would have enough money to have a room in the first place. And, and so they, they come to this place outside the inn. Uh, where animals would stay, sort of, we, today you might think of it as sort of a, a garage. Um, it's not outdoors, but it's not really fully indoors. Um, and it's a place where the poor could stay. And so she wraps the child in bands of cloth. Now, before, I mean, I've heard sermons talk about, you know, how terrible this was. It was a common practice, friends. There's no big deal about wrapping a kid in bands of cloth, right? They weren't like little strips of cloth. It, it, we do it all the time. And babies love it, right? Now, I don't know that Jesus had bumblebees on his bands of cloth, um, but that kid doesn't look too upset. That's what you do. You wrap them up. So we don't need to be too worried about that. And the manger was probably um, a feeding trough or an animal stall. You can uh, interpret the word either way. It can actually mean uh, the, the trough itself, or it can mean the, the whole animal stall um, where you would find one of these. Um, and the scripture doesn't say this, uh, but Pastor Andy actually was the one to put the kid in the trough and there he is uh, this is in israel at our trip that's not true but it would be cool if that were true um, but you can see this trough 
Um, most of the feeding troughs were made out of stone, and they're great little places for babies. They're like made for them. You wrap them up in the thing, you place them in there, they don't fall out, they don't slip through the cracks. You know, they're, it's a great place for a kid. So we don't need to oversell this thing of like, oh, poor baby Jesus, he's in a manger. It's a great manger. Those of you who have seen him, like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a great place for a kid. So the first thing we hear from God is that the angel says um, to the shepherds, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you, what kind of news is it? It's good news. Of what kind of joy? For who? All the people. Right? To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now this is what we have to really understand. That this is, say it with me, good news of great joy for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. This is our story and we're sticking to it. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? But here's the thing. This is the word of God. And what this means is, if it's not for all people, then it's not good news. And that's tough. Because it's good news of great joy for all people. So if it's just for some people, it's not good news. I learned this the hard way in journalism school when I was uh, in broadcast journalism. I was a reporter and a producer. And the thing is, I always had this temptation coming out of the church that I wanted to, you know, end every broadcast with good news. And my upline would always say to me, Mark, there's no such thing as good news. There's just news. You see, in the world, there's no such thing as good news and bad news. There's just news. Because in the world, news is either good for some and bad for others, isn't it? Bad news for you is good news for me. Isn't that true? Every time you hear news, it's just news. It's good for some and bad for others. But not with Christ. The miracle of Christmas is that it's good news of great joy for who? All people. That's our message. But that's also the problem of Christmas. You see, when people heard the news, um, it was for all people. But if you were a Jew, you could not believe that it also included the Roman soldiers who were occupying you. But if it doesn't include them, it's not good news. It also includes the beggars on the street, the lame, the blind, the lepers, the religious elite, the tax collectors. It included all of them. It included prostitutes, the working class, the poor. That's the problem of Christmas. And it's also the joy of Christmas that it includes everyone, even those we find difficult to love or that we would really like to not love because it's just awkward or hard or difficult or would require forgiveness or change of our life. And this is where we come face to face with the scandal of the gospel. And that is that when God comes, Jesus is sent to the lowly and the outcast. That's where we find Jesus over and over again. And I would just challenge you, read Mark or Luke or John or Matthew. And every time you see Jesus when he's not in the temple, he seems to be with someone in need. And people ask him all the time, what are you doing with them? And he says, well, look, I came not for the well, but for the sick, for those who need a physician. That's who they go to. And so isn't it interesting in the very first story of God coming to earth in Jesus, he shows up to shepherds. And shepherds were thought of as dishonest people grazing their flocks on others' lands. 
And if you go to the Holy Land today, it's still that way. The shepherds are not venerated. I mean, there's one tiny place in Palestine where you go and like, this is where the angel talked to the shepherds. Um, But even that is not um, really comparable to many of the other religious sites. And so I want you to think about a shepherd. Um, They're outside of town. They're shiftless. They go from place to place and they go wherever they can find a piece of grass, which is not easy in the desert friends. And so I want you to think about this. Um, I, want you, I want you to consider this guy. This is an actual shepherd. I found him on Google. You can do that. So this is an active shepherd, right? He's playing his little flute. So you want him at your Christmas table. Pretty good entertainment, but you might be missing some of your silverware at the end of it. I mean, isn't that what goes through your mind? Like, I don't, I don't know if the shepherds are the best choice to spread the good news of Jesus. He doesn't seem very religious. So, so you understand that when God comes, he comes to a pregnant, unwed teenage girl, 12, 13, 14, not very smart. And then the first people he tells to share the news is this guy. God does not seem very smart in this scenario. I mean, God doesn't do it the way we would do it. You see the, the scandal of all this? And so is it any wonder that the religious people of Jesus' day were like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. Now, you are the good people who showed up on the Sunday before Christmas Eve because everybody else is coming tomorrow. So I don't want to be too, too hard on you. But here, this is where it gets really difficult. Is that when we read the text, as some of the wealthiest people on the planet, It's hard on us because we know if we're thoughtful at all, we're not the shepherds. We're not the poor that the Bible talks about. More often than not, we're small business owners or or we're, we're workers. We're the innkeeper. And we're stuck with a very hard question, all of us, which is who are the people that we refuse? I mean, think about it. If the guy before shows up at your door tomorrow or a 13-year-old girl with a 30- or 40-year-old man and she's pregnant and they're not married and they ask if they can hang out in your garage, I mean, I'm calling the cops. I mean, isn't that what you first think? It's not smart to do otherwise. And, And here's what the prophet Isaiah said. He warns against missing our own salvation. God in our midst because we expect it a certain way or we demand it a certain way. And the very places that Jesus goes. Have you ever had a Christmas where you feel like you just missed Christmas? We're like, oh, where's that feeling? Where's that? You know, I just want that feeling of Christmas. Well, maybe it's because we're not going where Jesus goes. We're just not where he shows up. And they're like, man, I need a new church. I didn't feel it. Maybe we need a new bridge to go under and find Jesus where he shows up. Does this make sense? And, and I know it's hard. If I was preaching at a very poor, underserved, they'd be like, amen. Yes, somebody should care about us. It's harder. This story is harder for us. 
The prophet Isaiah, he says this, Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. Read this last part with me. My people do not understand. This is a warning to us, friends. This is a warning to us that if we're not careful, we will not understand the Christmas story. We will do all kinds of things around it and never go where Jesus goes. We can miss it all together. Because Bethlehem is the place where God came in mystery and wonder. Not Rome. Not even Jerusalem. But Bethlehem. Our Alan Culpepper, who uh, wrote the commentary on the Gospel of Luke, he says, we worry about how we're going to get to Bethlehem this year. Isn't that true? Isn't there something in the back of your mind that goes, wow, I really, really hope I experience Jesus this Christmas. And the challenge, of course, is that Bethlehem is the place where God came. He came to us in the birth of a child. This mystery, this wonder far removed from the hustle and bustle and worries of the ordinary world. Angels populate the skies. And they could appear at any time out in the desert, in the fields. You see, Bethlehem is the place where God comes. But it's not normally in those places where we like to hang out. I would much prefer the Christmas story to say, Behold, Jesus came to the upper crust brunch. Now that I could get into. I like me some prosciutto on Christmas morning. That would be awesome, right? That's, that's not the story. And although there is this foreign king and this oppressive tax structure, there's still this tranquil, tranquil little setting outside of town, far from the problems of the world. This will be the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God come to earth. So we're left with this question, how do we get to Bethlehem from here? How do we do that? Where do we find Jesus this year? And the biblical answer is, well, let's go where Jesus goes. Because the scandal of Christmas is that God came in human history completely helpless as a baby born on the road. And and you might even say on the run. We have no idea how um, Jesus and Mary and Joseph would have been received in their own hometown given their circumstances. Maybe it was a good thing they were out of town. You see, God identified with the outcast, the oppressed, the poor, and the homeless. That's that's who Jesus came to. So the first time that Jesus has has grown up and and the first sermon he ever preaches, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the... I don't really like that part either. Because that's hard. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor on all. Now, um, many people over the last number of weeks, you might be thinking, well, why, why are we going to the poorest of poor? Why, you know, why did you travel to Turkey? Why are you over in Tijuana? Why are, we, why are we doing these things around the world? Shouldn't we do things at home? And the answer is yes, of course. And we do. And we do them week in and week out. And most of it, quite frankly, happens through our children and youth department. I'm really proud of the leadership there. We are at Feed the Children. And and we do that work. This is our confirmation class. When they're learning what it is to follow Jesus, they learn how to go and feed other children. Um, They care about other kids. Circle of care. There's Melissa. Um, 
helping out there. Circle of Care is our ministry that we do with kids who are in need of placement in the foster care system. So our young people are doing this week in and week out. Here they are out in front of the Circle of Care. Um, again, uh, our sixth graders. Right? Uh, down the road is the Hope Center. Uh, we do that work regularly as well. Um, Hope Center gives uh, rent support, food, clothing, counseling. And the Hope Center is one of the beautiful things about Christianity in our town. Because the Hope Center was developed by the Ministerial Alliance. All the churches coming together and saying, you know what? We can do a lot more together than we can apart. Rather than risking being scammed by someone going to our church and another church and another church and another church and another church, we can say, no, 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 we're all going to support the Hope Center and they're going to make sure that we assist people in the best way, the most helpful way that we can. Now, Hope Center, if you don't know about it, is one of the wonderful ministries that the churches together do. It's a wonderful thing. And, and as uh, Andy preached on Friday night, there are uh, millions of people, even in our own country, um, with food insecurity. And so we're very serious about our work with the regional food bank. We give thousands of dollars to them every year. We have literally created hundreds of thousands of meals. We do it every year. Um, apparently, there's a big run on green beans. So we, we do this work all the time. Uh, we, don't, we don't celebrate all the time uh, because, you know, we don't, we don't want to brag on ourselves too much. But I want you to know this is good work that we do all the time. And, and this work is largely funded by the Christmas Eve offering that we'll take tomorrow night and we took on Friday night at our candlelight services. So Luke 14 says it like this. That Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or dinner... Do not invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return. No, he says, when you give a banquet, you might translate it, when you have your Christmas dinner, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And say it with me, and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Because they can't repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. God knows, God sees, goes up, God knows your heart. He sees everything that you're doing. So he says this, when you celebrate, invite the poor and you will be blessed. Now, you can be poor in lots of ways. You might be poor in health. And that's why we also do Operation Angel Wings. This is our one church community that Andy leads. Um, April Yarhaller um, and her family, um, they knew what it was for her mom to be in the hospital over Christmas. And so as a response to their understanding, they now go and give presents to people who are stuck in the hospital over the Christmas season. Isn't that beautiful? By the hundreds of presents, we did this last week. Your community did this. And, and the people who went, you know what they'll say? I was blessed. It was a blessing. Same thing at Emerson. Uh, mops, these are teenage moms. Uh, Megan's over here somewhere. Where are you, Megan? Yeah, there you are. And you're up there too. And, um, you know, teenage moms bringing their kids to school, um, trying to better their families. And so sometimes people say, well, I don't, I don't understand why uh, we have to do this other stuff beyond. And here's the reason, friends. Because the reality is that the poor is relative. And poor at risk in Edmond and Oklahoma City does not look the same as poor and at risk across the border. It just doesn't. On the left is one of our poorest schools in Oklahoma City at Emerson. You see they're in a, a really nice media center with a, if you can see it up here, a vending machine. Um, and a meal brought in. Um, by us because they're people um, of means who care about them around them. To your right is one of our uh, latest mission trips to Guatemala 
where if they want to go to school, they go and find a center block and set it up right so they can sit and learn. It's just not the same. It's just not. And so porn at risk here just is not the same. And if you haven't been on international mission, we want to help you do that. We want you to understand where Christ is around the world, not just here. So let's take a look of why we do what we do in other places. Cuando yo tenía dos años, papá se fue, tuvo que emigrar a los Estados Unidos por falta de trabajo. Y pues, yo sí quiero conocer a mi papá. A Mayra la conocí porque era amiga de mi hermano. Habíamos un grupo de mujeres y hombres y salíamos a divertirnos sábado, domingo, para comprar carne, hacer una carne asada y en las albercas y todo. Poco a poco la fui conociendo, pues, me gustaba, ¿no? Y, y le gustaba a ella y pues al final pues fuimos siendo mi novia. Un chavo con unos 19 años de piel güera, este, me había advertido muchas veces que le gustaba a mi novia, que su papá era del narcotráfico y que, que la dejara en paz y que me iba a levantar y pues yo nunca le hice caso, lo tomé como loco, ¿no? Yo saliendo de la escuela me agarraron dos hombres de los hombros de mi cuello. Me metieron en el interior de la cajuela de un carro. Eh, me llevaron hasta una carretera donde había un terreno baldío. Me bajaron, me hincaron y me empezó a pegar, ¿no? me empezó a golpear. Él fue el que me fracturó la pierna. Me sacó el hueso de, de mi brazo derecho también. Después ya no me acuerdo nada porque me desmayaron, no sé. Yo amanecí tirado en la carretera. Ya no quería estar escondido, ya no quería estar así, mucho menos tener en riesgo a mi hermano allá. Y por eso decidí venirme para acá, para no darle problemas a nadie. Guerrero siempre ha sido, no sé, que sea países más violentos. Ya no quiero regresar. Ya. Mi hermano tenía 14 años, pero se veía más grande que yo. Varias veces le preguntaron por mí y que incluso una vez me ¿no? lo lo agarraron en un parque con su novia, dos tipos, una moto. A él le fracturaron un brazo, lo golpearon y a su novia también la golpearon. 
compré el boleto para ir a ver a mi hermano. Sino que, pues ya ese día que lo iba a ver, mi papá me habló una mañana diciéndome que. que mi hermano lo habían matado, que lo van a ir a reconocer en la morgue. Y me acuerdo que un día que nada más tiene la basura, él me dijo: Si yo me muero primero, dice, de ahí arriba, del cielo, tú vas a mandar dinero. Y yo le dije, entonces, si yo me muero, primero también, yo de ahí arriba te voy a dinero. Ahora, lo que le pido no es que me mande dinero, sino que me cuide. Me aleje de todas las personas malas que me quieren hacer daño. Y pero mi hermano ya está en otro lugar mejor. El día en Tijuana ha sido tranquilo porque... No me siento tanto con esa presión de que me van a hacer algo o algo así. Pero aquí salgo rara vez a la calle, yo solo me pongo muy nervioso cuando oigo los sonidos de los carros. Cuando las personas se me acercan, todo eso me da miedo. This is Hugo, a boy that could be in our youth group just as easy. Cute girl likes him, he likes her. And then some guy says, hey, I like your girl. He goes, get away, so what? He goes, no, you don't understand, my dad's a drug dealer. He's like, so? And then they beat him up. So he runs away, they kill his little brother. And he knows that if they find him, he's done. And so much of that video that you saw was taken at the Casa de Manoas Migrantes in Tijuana, YMCA, something that our local YMCA is a part of, that we support. We kept him alive. Other kids like him, keeping them alive. It's also true that last week, Two of the kids were murdered because we, they were waiting on asylum and they got stuck. You probably won't hear about it because it happened on the Mexican side. You know, we know about it because the folks at the Y shared that story with us. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, well, come on. I mean, he's, he's just got to be smarter than that. If a drug dealer's boy says, I, I like your girl, then get away from her, right? I mean, there's, there's lots of... And, and by the way... I'm not advocating for open borders. I mean, let's just, let's talk about this for what it is. These are real people that live in another place whom God loves. There's lots of ways to get at that, right? I'm not advocating for a particular way to do it. There's lots and lots of ways to do it. But we do know our story is at Christmas, and Jesus models this for us, that we are to engage and show mercy to our racial enemies, to those that are different than us, to those that we don't trust, to those that we think might even do harm to us. That's the way the Jews felt about Samaritans. And so Jesus has two really important stories in the New Testament. One is the story of the Good Samaritan that I would recommend to you. It's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And in this, it's the Samaritan who does the right thing. Now, a Samaritan was a hated person in the Jewish community. 
But it was the Samaritan who bandaged up the Jewish guy, and he poured oil and wine on him, and he put him on his own animal, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he takes out his money. He gives it to the innkeeper, and he says, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. And then Jesus asked this guy who was asking him about what a neighbor looks like. And so Jesus says to him and to us, well, who do you think did the right thing? And the guy says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you're right. Go and do likewise to the person that doesn't look like you. He does the same thing with a Samaritan woman. He asked her in the middle of the day, the reason she was in the middle of the day, because nobody else would be with her, no person in their right mind in the Middle East goes to get water in the middle of the day. You do it before dawn when it's not super hot. And the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, he goes, she says this, she says, how is it that you would you ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Because they don't share things in common with Samaritans. Right? And yet Jesus engages her. So we're called to engage folks different than us, people that we don't like, people that our culture says are not to be trusted, but if you're like me, there's something within me. In my culture, the way I was raised, uh, particularly if you're in management, this is not the primary narrative in our culture. This is. This is the one I like. A lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Isn't that where you like to live? I love to live here. I mean, this is nice. I'm like, look, all of these people who are hurting and struggling, they brought it on themselves. Isn't that what we like to think? This is where I like to live. Maybe you do too. I mean, let's face it. If I was the innkeeper and some 13-year-old pregnant girl who's knocked up by some older guy shows up when the entire world has to be registered. I mean, they're not the only couple that's come by that night, by the way. They're probably 5th or 6th or 7th or 10th or 100th, right? Because everybody has to enroll too. They're, I mean, they, just, they should have left Nazareth earlier, shouldn't they? Right? I'd be happy to give you a room had you had a reservation. You see how this works? So here's the warning for myself, and that is I don't want to get so comfortable in the hotel that I never make it to the manger. Because that's where our Savior is. And it's not that Jesus is mad at me about it necessarily. It's just that I miss him completely. So what can we do about this? First of all, I would like for you to ask your Christmas question a little differently, and that is, who needs me the most? Who needs my gift the most? Who needs my time the most? Who needs my presence the most? Who is it? Who is it? It might be your family, but it might be somebody else. And this is why it's so important, because the Scripture says that we are to be, not just that Jesus is, but we are to be, what? Good news of great joy to all people. Now, if someone were to describe you, is that how they would describe you? Oh, I love them. They're great news of great joy to all people. I just love being around them. So a different way of saying this is, bless someone in need this Christmas. Bless someone in need. I bet you you'll find Jesus there. Because Jesus said this, and I recommend this to you, by the way. I won't share it all with you. This is just the ending. Jesus, the king, will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. That's where Jesus is. I pray that you find him.
Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're with us and that you're with all your children. We pray that we would go where you go. We would hear your voice and respond to your call. And that it would be a, be a part of your business about what you do, about how you do it. And we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.